then, folks, bit of a fun sports fact for you. Today marks the first time that someone has actually won a Grand Slam in Melbourne in the month of April. And also probably the first time that a Monegasque has won a Grand Slam in Melbourne. How funny is it that at the home of the Australian Open, one competitor has absolutely smashed the other one and has kind of given them a big Grand Slam. Luckily for us, this battle isn't over. It's only the first set yet and so many more fireworks are going to come. But folks, welcome to the Breakpoint Tennis Podcast and... Oh, oh, okay, okay, sorry, sorry. We have to speak about Formula One, right? Okay, let's do that. Welcome to the Inside Line F1 podcast. My name is Somal Arora, the host of the Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. I'm joined by Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team. And no, we're not going to be talking about tennis, although that'll be a lot of fun. We are going to be talking about the Melbourne Grand Prix and so many other things that happened about Ferrari and Charles Leclerc, how good they were, about Red Bull's pace and what happened to Sergio Perez. Was he kind of more comfortable than Max Verstappen in this entire race? About the DNF? Mercedes is space in Russell's first podium. Alonso and Sainz in their disappointing weekend. More about the midfield and how McLaren have suddenly gone up and the likes of Alfa Romeo and Haas have suddenly gone down. All of that and more, along with Albon's strategy, coming up right here on this episode of the Inside Line of podcast. But firstly, Kunal, this performance by Charles Leclerc, as I mentioned at the start, a Grand Slam-worthy performance, quite literally, because he got, I think, Ferrari's first Grand Slam since Alonso in Singapore 2010. A performance that, let's just say, Rod Labour would be very proud of, in a way. A performance that the Tifosi would be pr- proud of in every single way, Somal. And, you know, by the time people hear this, by the time uh, our stats guru puts it out and every single page picks it up, uh, every <laughs> driver since 2011, whoever has scored a Grand Slam, has gone to win the World Championship. Okay. That's the stat. The other stat is that the driver who got the Grand Slam in 2010 did not win the World Championship, that driver being Fernando Alonso. So it all depends, you know, when you want your your, your year, when you're considering statistics to start or stop, right? But uh, also a big Grand Slam of an event by the organizers in Melbourne after, you know, the disappointment two years ago. And this was actually, this, this is what Formula One and the promoters have actually said. This was the largest or the biggest sporting event in Australian history. There were 420,000 wow. fans at the Albert Park circuit over the Grand Prix weekend. And that, Sommel, is actually 20,000 more than the race in Austin, Texas last year. And I think these are fantastic numbers. Hats off to Liberty Media for making Formula One what it is, hats off to the organizers, hats off to the teams and drivers and all the stakeholders who have worked so hard to get Formula One to this level. Yeah, and hats off to the fans as well. What kind of an environment they put up over there. It was just amazing to watch on TV. Just just stunning stuff. But in general, Kunal, the, the national anthems at the end was such a fun thing to watch, right? Because you had so many fans come up it was literally swarmed all the way through the entire main stretch. This this just feels amazing. And the Monegasque and the Italian national anthem together just feels amazing. And so many people are bouncing around together over there. It feels amazing. And this is where I'm wondering if, you know, the Monegasque and the Italian anthems are the new anthem mixes for Formula One fans to remember. Because, you know, Michael Schumacher made the whole German and the Italian anthems very, very popular, especially when they were played in, you know, in sync together. So now I'm wondering if it's going to be the Monegasque and the Italian national anthems, because Sommel, that performance from Charles Leclerc 
was so outstanding. It was a dominating race weekend. And may I say, on the borderline, a bit boring, Samal. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. This felt like the most interesting, boring race weekend of all, if you put it that way, because at the top, there was barely any battling and we shall get into exactly why that happened. But it's outstanding, right? This entire race, Kunal, it kind of showed what the new Formula 1 cars are all about. It, you can follow, but it doesn't undermine the challenge of the overtake, which is, I think, what the regulations were all meant to be. And so Leclerc, in a way, was able to pull ahead, but behind there were so many fun battles. But all in all, this feels like a new mature Charles Leclerc. It's just outstanding. It feels like a very, very mature Charles Leclerc, somebody who's now mastered tyre management, because that race was all about tyre management as well, especially up in the front. But... One word on the whole new formula of Formula One, something that we keep evaluating literally every single Grand Prix weekend for obvious reasons, right? Yes, following is being permitted. We saw Lance Stroll, his only use in the race, for me at least, was, you know, when he was leading the Stroll train and cars were able to follow him, (laughs) right? But at the same time, you know, overtaking wasn't easy at the Albert Park circuit, like it's not been through the, the years of history, right? Yeah. And another thing, you know, the new formula, uh, and, and I like what you said, Samuel, that if this was a boring race at the Albert Park circuit, this was as good a boring race one uh, could get from Formula One, where you're not bored, but you were also entertained. But hey, it was, uh, you know, it was a bit of a neutral uh, factor, I would say, in, 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 in both ends of the spectrum. But, you know, the one thing the rules do not uh, do, and this is rules across era, is they mm-hmm. do not uh, you know, they do not compensate for teams not being quick. Case in point, Red Bull. Uh, they do not compensate for teams not being reliable. Again, case in point, Red Bull. Mm. Yeah, it it hurts so bad. Two out of three races for Max Verstappen, and there's two DNFs. That, that's uh, that's basic. I think we kind of forgot about it in the last few years, Kunal, because reliability was such a minor issue. That suddenly it's popped up and be like, oh, you must finish first to finish first in a way. And it's, it's tremendous what's happening over here in terms of the whole thing. But Max didn't kind of seem comfortable all the way around, right, throughout the race as well. He was constantly falling back to Charles Leclerc. Was it something to do with management of the tyres or the brakes? Because I remember in Bari, it was something to do with brake management, wasn't it? The reason why he couldn't follow so closely. That's correct. In Bahrain, it was about the uh, it was about the brakes. In in uh, Australia, it was about the tires. Max, as we all heard on on the world feed, kept saying, uh, you know, his front left was graining, and graining is not good when it comes to tire utilization. Degradation is good because see, the tire is anyway going to degrade when you use mm. it, right? It's yeah. not going to remain brand new. It will keep getting scrubbed. Uh, graining is when the tires are overheating, the surface is overheating. Degradation is when the tire is actually being used the right way and is, you know, going through its expected life cycle, right? But talking of that, Sommel, you know, I think we still need to talk about Charles Leclerc because he's not been putting a foot wrong, literally. He's aced tire management like we spoke about. That Ferrari is quick. It Mm. seems it was quick on Saturday. It seems like the easier car to take to the limit on a single lap uh, pace, I would say. It it seemed like the fastest uh, racing car on the Sunday as well. It was it was easy on its tires. So all in all, it just seems like an all-round package, especially if the package is in the hands of Charles Leclerc. And, you know, Leclerc, again, he mastered 
those safety car restarts you know and yes. uh, he's been mastering he's been mastering them the last couple of races that we've had these restarts right and uh, he's always had max verstappen uh, you know uh, chasing him down through those restarts and we all know how good max verstappen can be in these restarts how aggressive he can be uh, and so on of course we had the fi clarify a certain rule with safety car restarts <laughs> and so on right so yep. i i just think that it was a very dominant performance from charles leclerc to take the lead in the world uh, constructors championship as well because that's what actually charles has charles has more points than yep. mercedes charles has more points than red bull and in the drivers championship he is 34 points or more than a race and a half win ahead of george russell both of these are a surprise to me honestly the points gap just three races in and the driver who's second yeah exactly russell's second it's not even max max is i think fourth if i'm not mistaken isn't he because lewis no is, he's uh, even lower he's even lower. ahead of max now yeah 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 exactly that's what i remember watching earlier this morning but tremendous right tremendous how charles is playing it on but this isn't good news for the championship if we all considering max as the big contender because now I mean, how does he cover it up unless there's some 2021 level of drama coming up for us i, I don't <laughs> think it's it's going to be very easy for red bull to catch up especially especially i'm sorry with the reliability which cannot be an easy issue to fix right because the reliability tends to take a lot of time so there's that but seriously kunal verstappen i i don't know it just it just felt like red bull didn't have that x factor this week in that ferrari had as you discussed a second ago which means that it always felt that max was going to be there but he had to capitalize on a few golden moments i.e. the start or for instance let's say the restarts apart from that it just didn't feel like they were on equal terms it didn't and you know it was it was always that uh, ferrari had an answer to everything red bull and max were stepping through at them and an important point you mentioned about reliability as well so ferrari is a class of the field even when it comes to reliability again for charles leclerc's car i would say so yeah. all in all i mean you know max has got a massive deficit to crawl up uh you know in in the in in the drivers championship and uh, an interesting point that uh, pedro de la rosa mentioned uh, you know through the weekend was that maybe ferrari and um, red bull are running an engine strategy where they will use four power units through the season but mercedes are probably sticking to running only three so he of course believes that the kind of performance that uh, the ferraris and and the red bull powertrains are are pulling out maybe even the alpines uh, doesn't uh, seem sustainable with the whole three power unit rule uh, through the season usage so you know it all goes to see how it evens out over the 23 race calendar sommel a rule that was best exploited by mercedes last year and they're the ones not using it anymore so that makes it even more fun doesn't it at the end of the day it does and i think the one driver who had most fun with the mercedes cars was sergio perez yeah he actually he actually battled and overtook both the mercedes drivers he overtook lewis hamilton on the outside he overtook fernando alonso on track to get his second uh, to get his second podium uh, not second but get second place in the race right mm. and um, perez was just you know not the class of the red bulls because verstappen still had his measure mm-hmm. but he still had a fa- fairly good race and he was also done in by you know one of the many safety car periods that we had had at least in terms of strategy 
Yeah, exactly. But I loved the part where he had the battle with Lewis Hamilton at the end of the uh, turn 9, 10 section where Lewis was just able to capitalize for a second until the safety car came in. So, just kind of goes to show how racy Sergio has been so far. But what do you reckon, Kunal? I think he just looks more comfortable than last year, doesn't he? It feels like this car feels more of something that's suited to his style. He isn't as far off as he was last year. Yeah, that's true. You know, he's got a pole position and Max Verstappen doesn't, right? And he, of course, seems much closer in qualifying uh, to Max Verstappen than last year. And, you know, that, that, was his, that was his main challenge to make sure he qualifies well on the Saturday so that he can use his race management skills on the Sunday to good mm. effect, right? And uh, again, I'm going to quote uh, Pedro De La Rosa in this. He actually gave a very interesting explanation. He said that these cars are so heavy that they are actually far more predictable than the previous generation of Formula One cars. Mm. And, you know, both he and Damon Hill actually ended up saying that uh, if you want to separate the good from the great, uh, give them a lighter and a more nervous car and then see what the great drivers do. They will still be able to take it to the limit. Uh, And that's probably where Perez's comfort comes in because a heavier car is a lot more predictable Hmm. at corner entry at apex whereas a, a lighter car is not and that that's one of the theories that they put forward as to why checo perez is probably a lot more comfortable this year than he was hmm. last year Samuel. that's very interesting and it reminds me speaking of predictability as well about what lewis hamilton said on saturday after qualifying that his car actually is very unpredictable into the entry of the corners because of the poisoning. it just depends on where you catch the corner so it might end up being super understeer or super oversteer, which kind of makes it really fun to think about with these cars. But that kind of leads us on very well onto Mercedes, right? Onto their second podium of the year. That would be correct, yes. First yeah. for George Russell on track after some racing, by the way, which makes it good. Again, kind of lucky because firstly, Max's uh, DNF, but then secondly, Russell uh, getting the safety car at exactly the right time, which is why Lewis got caught out. But they were able to fight with Sergio Perez Canal, uh, albeit a bit weakly, but they were able to stay with him and sustain it for a little while. So, is it kind of show that Mercedes have got some part of it right? Or is there a lot more for them to get into? I think Mercedes largely would believe they overperformed and over-delivered hmm. uh, at Melbourne. They got lucky with uh, Carlos Sainz being out of the way, Max Verstappen, you know, of course, having his retirement and, and so on. Yeah. Personally, I believe they, they went a little slower and uh, around the tr- uh, circuit of Mel- uh, Albert Park circuit because in qualifying, they were further away uh, at uh, in Australia than they were in the first two races of the season. And one of the reasons why they were actually battling Checo Perez, in my view, was because Perez was out of position hmm. after, you know, the safety car things that we saw and, and so on. So it was, uh, and of course, then Perez lost position also to Hamilton on, on, on uh, at, the, at the race start as well. So it was just down to the fact that uh, Perez was out of place and, and hence the Mercedeses were fighting much higher up the, the grid than they thought because in qualifying, Mercedes was actually fourth with, uh, you know, Lando Norris, uh, you know, putting his McLaren ahead of uh, both the Mercedes cars. And, you know, leading up to Australia, they said, we are closer to fourth than we would be to second place. And they actually ended up being the fourth fastest team. But George Russell's first podium, that's always fantastic. I also believe it's the first podium he's raced for. Yeah. Because the, the first, his first podium last year was at Belgium, where 
only Bern Mailander had a race, I would say, right? <laughs> Everybody else was just driving around in circles behind him. Uh, we know the fast that had happened there. But yeah, congratulations to George. Uh, he made the most of his luck, which pretty much every driver, including Lewis Hamilton, has made all over the years, which is why Lewis's, uh, you guys have put me in a difficult position, radio message, just seemed yeah. a little too out of place for me, Sommel. Yeah, what what was that difficult position he's talking about? A position behind George? But it wasn't where Mercedes put him, right? It just where luck kind of ended up putting him into. So that was a bit absurd. But what do you, what do you reckon that was, Kunal? Was he playing around? Or was he genuinely irritated? Or is it just that all former world champions just get too frustrated when they're not doing too well? Like Max did in Bahrain. Yeah, you know, Max did in Bahrain, Max even in, in Australia. Both Max and Lewis were a little too critical of their teams and, and what actually happened there. Mm. At least in Max's case, it's valid because he's suffering retirements. He's losing yeah. uh, he's losing very vital world championship points, right? In Lewis's case, Mercedes actually did no wrong. They just maximized their race result. It yeah. just so happened that when it was George uh, Russell's time to pit, there happened to be a safety car. So... That was just the roll of the dice, uh, I would say. And, and uh, you know, that to me was a bit of a puzzle. But so be it. You know, at the end of the day, uh, Lewis Hamilton still has more world championship points than Max Verstappen Sommel. Yeah, there's that. At least he can save with that for some time until the Mercedes form just kind of picks back up. But I want to talk about two drivers, well, who had a bit of a disappointing race. But I think let's do that after a bit of more chatter on Mercedes, shall we? Yes, we should. You know, Mercedes actually are one of four teams uh-huh. that have scored points in all the three races of the season, right? So we've had Ferrari, of course. We've had Mercedes. We've had Alpine, yeah. surprisingly. And then we had Alpha Tauri. Okay. So with all their purposing problems and various magic fixes that they're looking for, they are still reliable. They are still uh, they are still scoring points, which I think is pretty fantastic. And uh, I think there are also four drivers who have scored points in all uh, the three races yet. Max, uh, of course, not being that, but we've had Charles Leclerc, we've had George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, and the former Mercedes Junior, Esteban Ocon. Mm. Yeah, uh, and, and Ocon has been doing surprisingly well, right? I, I thought that he'd be absolutely schooled by Fernando Alonso when Alonso came back, but it's been quite the opposite. Which kind of ends up bringing us on to Fernando Alonso, right? Because at the start of the weekend, Gunal, it seemed like he had amazing pace. Pace good enough to fight for P4, which is what Alpine was saying. That he should kind of be there or thereabouts. But then that technical glitch in qualifying, that kind of cost him position. And then, what was that race? He seemed to be so good on the hards. But then, Graining, wasn't it? Graining kind of compromised his, pitch, I mean, his race after the stop. That was just absurd. Why did he box earlier on? And then, of course, it was a safety car that caught him out as well. So, yeah. Fernando was just, you know, in his words, he's like, I've had bad luck in the first three rounds of the season. So, I'm going to have super luck in the balanced 20 races of the season. This is not me. This is what Fernando Alonso <laughs> said. And I hope that comes true because he definitely looked, uh, you know, game for a P3, P4, P5 lap in qualifying Hmm. till he had that hydraulics failure. He, of course, had a sore thumb as well. So it was just unfortunate that, you know, Fernando's not able to make the most of Alpine. And, uh, you know, he he seems like the quicker driver, uh, but he just doesn't seem like the one who finishes 
as many races as Alpe, you know, as Esteban Ocon does. And case in point, you know, driver number 14 is actually, driver with car number 14 mm-hmm. is actually 14th in the driver's championship oh. with just two points. And that's extremely surprising to me, Solomon. Yeah, exactly. Should have been so much more. Should have been so much more for Alpine in general. But was his weekend more disappointing in your eyes or was it Carlos Sainz who had the worst one? Because, my God, the Spaniards just just had a torrid ter- ter- and terrible time. That, hey, talk about an alliteration. That, that's much better than what they ended up doing this entire weekend, Kunal. Especially Sainz, <laughs> who could have had pace to win. But something's going wrong. And it kind of seems like if he doesn't quite bounce back very soon, it'll be too late for him to kind of establish himself as an equal to Charles Leclerc. Ferrari tend to just pick their number one drivers very early, don't they? They do. And, you know, he's he's already less than half the number of points as uh, Charles Leclerc. Carlos Sainz ended his 17-race streak of finishing in the points. That's how consistent that guy has been. And, uh, you know, to me, I'm more disappointed about Carlos Sainz's weekend since you asked Sommel because mm-hmm. it's the it's the car that won the race. It's the car that's the class of the field. If he wants to remain in the title battle, the least he should do is be second. The least mm-hmm. he should minimize all uh, points lost to to uh, to Charles Leclerc as he possibly can. Now, what exactly happened to uh, to Carlos Sainz? In my view, and again, I'm being speculative. I'm going to stir up a controversy here, but I just think he's getting the Kimi Raikkonen treatment at Ferrari already, ah. right? And I'll tell you why I'm saying this. And again, for all the Tifosi listening, please, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to stir things up, even though I know this might. Uh, you know, in qualifying, he was actually running fairly close till in his second run of Q3 he had a problem where his car refused to start. So he actually left the garage three minutes later than it was intended, mm. which meant that it uh, he was late and it affected his tire preparation for his final run in Q3, right? As a result of which, he was sliding all around, as we saw uh, during the qualifying uh, broadcast. And yeah. that's why he wasn't up there with Charles. And remember, before that, he was just as quick or probably a little quicker than Charles, only to see the red flag come out milliseconds before he crossed exactly. uh, the, the, the the timing uh, transponder line, right? So that's just Carlos Sainz's qualifying weekend. Now, that's bad luck, okay? Uh, on Sunday, he actually had a steering wheel problem, right? The steering wheel problem, uh, the steering that, that, he, that he got wasn't set up optimally for him to use during the race start. As a result of which, he actually hit anti-stall twice, just when he started, which is why he oh. went backwards of all the other drivers on the opening lap. And then he was on the harder compound tire. They were cold. He was battling and got impatient in his own words. And then we saw what happened. And I guess it was just a lot of team and driver disappointment that reached its peak when he actually beached his car in, in the gravel sommel. Speak more Italian, Carlos. I don't think things will happen to you if you start to speak more Italian, honestly. That, that's just the way it is at Ferrari at the end of the day. Just, just speak their <laughs> language and you will be fine. But no, what, what a terrible weekend all the way around. And I, I think I'll agree. There's more pace and potential in that Ferrari than in the Alpine. So I'd say he had a more disappointing weekend. But I'm genuinely confused about the Alpine and McLaren and AlphaTauri and where Haas and Alfa Romeo rank. Because what is it? It, it seems like a game of midfield musical chairs. Because suddenly McLaren were top 
uh, in this whole midfield battle. And by the way, great performance by both of them. Double points and barely anything to split up between Norris and Ricciardo. But where McLaren won is where Haas and Alfa Romeo lost. I think they were in the exact same position that McLaren were a couple of races ago. So, track-specific changes are going to make this midfield battle very exciting to the very end. And what do you, what do you reckon about McLaren? How do you think this performance was for them? Especially Ricciardo, who's constantly been struggling in comparison to Norris. So, I think P5 and P6, again, they wouldn't have expected it. But they benefited from Verstappen and Sainz not you know, being there in the race. But hey, that's what everybody benefited, right? To... To a lot of uh, paddock uh, people, it seems like McLaren's form was track-specific. This track mm-hmm. just suits them a little better. Uh, but and- Andrea Seidel, of course, said that they brought some upgrades which they believe worked better and that just probably gives them better hope for the races to come. But Somal, you're right. You know, there's a massive, uh, massively close midfield battle with mm-hmm. uh, all the teams, the five teams that you mentioned. And uh, that just makes it for so much more interesting because, you know, Valtteri Bottas, we saw he didn't max his lap in uh, in qualifying three. And he ended a 103 race streak of being in Q3. And I think that is pretty phenomenal as well, Samuel. Yeah, no. uh, Alpha Tauris were not in Q3, but, you know, Pierre Gasly still got what he normally gets. And to, to me, the disappointment in the midfield was actually Haas. And... Hmm. It sounds funny when I say this, but for the first time in 2022, they failed to score a point in in a race because, you know, normally it would be the other way. Wow, Haas has scored a point uh, in a race this season. But uh, given their form, given their car, given Kevin McNewson's magic that he's been pulling out, uh, it was a bit disappointing to see, uh, you know, uh, to see... uh, Haas not be able to score points. But I must say the biggest joy I got, Sommel, mm-hmm. was Alex Albin. Oh, yeah. He running his mighty strategy. He was disqualified from qualifying, right? Oh, he was yep. given a grid place penalty. He started 20th, right? Uh, and then, uh, then uh, he ended up going on that you know, one stopper strategy, which was almost, which actually should be considered as a zero stop because exactly he on the last last lap of the race, he he drove perfectly to the strategy. He made the hards worked. I, I believe uh, that's a good sign, but that's also a bad sign because you know we saw that there was uh, the, the the gap between the Pirelli compounds was a little too much, uh, maybe. But you know, yeah, this is of course looking looking back in hindsight, but. Alexander Albon scored his first points of the season, as did Daniel Ricciardo as well. That leaves just four drivers who have not scored a single point uh, yet. And then, of course, Aston Martin, they are dead last 10th. No points for them as well, Samuel. Yeah, what, what do you even say about Lance Stroll's weekend or Sebastian Vettel's weekend? I kind of wonder, uh, just a question, Gunnar, is, is are damage costs included as a part of the budget cap? I suppose they would be, right? So... With the rumours that Aston Martin are trying to build a new car, I don't think they'll have enough parts left to kind of build the car <laughs> because they're just constantly running through all of it. It's ridiculous how their season is going so far. It is ridiculous. And, uh, you know, just to give you an example of how, uh, you know, different the season, the, the, the race in Australia was for both the drivers. The marshal who helped recover for uh, Sebastian Vettel's car uh-huh. actually gave him the scooter to ride back to the paddock. Uh, 
Oh. For which, of course, Sebastian Vettel was fine. But the marshal who recovered Lance Stroll's car in qualifying said, dude, uh-huh. I'm going to ride you back. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, he, he probably knows that if he gives Lance Stroll the scooter, he might reach too late or might end up blindly crashing, unfortunately, into another scooter behind. Nah, sorry, I don't think we do that too much. I think we should do that. I don't think we should do that enough. We've done that enough in the last couple of episodes. So that's the Lance Stroll hate train kind of done. But folks, thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for watching this episode. And what were your thoughts on this whole weekend? Finally, to wrap up, closing thoughts as such. I mean, good race. It was nice to be in Australia, Albert Park Circuit. I love it. Uh, just one point that came to my mind uh, about McLaren, uh, uh-huh. which came up on the McLaren, McLaren Spitwall app. Uh, Lando Norris was actually carrying a power unit issue and McLaren thought that he may actually stop on the last lap of the race so actually they they warned Daniel Ricciardo to not drive too close to Norris because in case he just in case he just ended up having a retirement they didn't want uh, they didn't want uh, you know Ricciardo to be driving into the back of Lando Norris Interesting stuff, huh? Uh, and it didn't happen eventually. So good for McLaren for luckily being able to keep it. But yes, at the end of the day, reliability is turning out to be a major issue for everyone. But folks, we at the Inside Line of One podcast and Fixed the Podium here are super reliable. We'll be back with a new episode for the preview for the next race, which is Imola, when the race is about to begin. So that'll be said on the Wednesday or Thursday because we've got F1 Sprint as well, right? So that's going to happen rather soon. But folks, thank you for listening to this one. Thank you for watching. See you for that one and you know the deal, right? If you like this one, leave a share, leave a like, give a good rating and all that other stuff. Bye, folks. Have a good time. Enjoy the weekend. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.